Well, you may be wondering why we showed that video. Well, Springbrook, we're going. And, uh, yeah, that's exciting news. Um, from August 1st to the 9th, we're going to be taking a crew of youth and adults out uh, to uh, Pine Ridge, South Dakota, to serve uh, our Native American brothers and sisters and to serve uh, those who need hope, which is the title of our whole series. And so it's just a, a great opportunity. Uh, if you're interested in going on that trip, uh, the details are on springbrookyouth.org. Since I'm running it, it's going through the youth website, but that doesn't mean it's all entirely youth. I would like at least 8 to 10 adults to go on that trip with us, um, and, uh, and more if possible. Right now we have 25 spots reserved, but if we sign up quickly, we may be able to get more. So if, you would, uh, if you're interested in going on that trip with us, um, it's available. Uh, the uh, applications are available at the ministry center by the youth drop box, which is a little black box on the uh, back counter in the atri- auditorium or atrium. And so uh, feel free to head over there, uh, grab an application, and read all about it on the youth website. And with that, let's begin and in prayer as we finish up our series. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom, to live lives that mean something, to have uh, an effect on eternity because of what Christ has done. You're willing to share your glory and your work that is eternal and valuable with us. And we are so grateful. Today we pray you would encourage us to stand and fight in the fight that you've called us to fight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our message today begins on December 7th, 1941. How many of you know what significant day that is? That is the day of Pearl Harbor. Um, It was called a day that will live in infamy. The day when America severely underestimated its enemy. At around 7.48 a.m., the first of two waves of 353 aircraft launched from six separate aircraft carriers and began their assault on Pearl Harbor. A Japanese spy plane had already given the... uh, I'm sorry, a Japanese spy had already sent in information uh, about the fleet's composition and its location. And two planes, early, very early in the early dawn hours, uh, flew by and verified the spy's assessment is correct. Proceed with the attack. The news was good for the Japanese and bad for us. Pearl Harbor was on low alert status. Soldiers were still sleeping when the first bombs dropped. You can see in that picture that splash in the center. That's one of the first torpedoes hitting. Um, uh, anti-torpedo nets were not down. They were in the up position. Uh, defense guns were unmanned. Ammunition lockers were still locked. And the men who had the keys were on shore. Um, Only one quarter of the anti-aircraft guns were ever activated and only four of the 31 anti-aircraft batteries were able to retaliate. The planes on the airstrips 
of American fields were parked tip to tip, making them hard to launch but easy to shoot. One run, you could get a bunch of them all in a line. Only eight American planes made it into the air to defend against the 353 coming at them. And the attack lasted just about two hours. It was over before 10 a.m. Four and a half hours later, many would say way too late, the Japanese declaration of war arrived in Washington. Does anybody say that's a cheat? That's a cheat. They said it it was delayed intentionally. At 2.30 it arrived. And before that declaration ever arrived, 18 ships were sunk or run aground. Five of them were our best battleships in the Pacific. One of them, the, the Arizona... Uh, went down with oil, 50, 50, or 500,000 gallons of fuel and oil, and it still leaks today. Those drips of black oil coming up are called the black tears at the memorial. Almost 190 aircraft were destroyed, another 130 were damaged, and at the end of the attack, 2,000. 403 soldiers were dead, as well as American citizens who were not in the, who were uh, uh, serving at the bay. Also, 1,178 were wounded. That was a bad defeat. Here's, makes, here's what makes it even worse. Japanese forces lost only 55 pilots and 29 planes. Nine naval men were lost in five mini two-man submarines. And so uh, we didn't even, we didn't make a dent, really. We were not prepared to defend ourselves that day. We were not ready to fight an enemy that was willing to launch a preemptive attack. Uh, It was executed before that declaration of war was ever made. And the two senior leaders of Pearl Harbor, Admiral Kimmel of the Pacific Fleet and Lieutenant General Short uh, of our harbor defense, were removed for failing to adopt adequate defense measures. Multiple presidents have been asked to repeal that decision to remove their rank and post-death, give them their rank back, and they've been denied. Um, And so uh, there was a lesson there. We failed to be vigilant. We underestimated the low blow that could be struck against us. War had been declared, and we were unaware And so that brings us to uh, the lesson that we have today. The lesson is we always need to be prepared if we have an enemy. Our alert needs to be up. We need to be vigilant and watching out for when our enemy attacks. We always need to check our blind side and our weak spots. We always need to be prepared 
for the torpedoes or the bombs that would be coming. And so as we wrap up this book of 1 Peter today, uh, that's where Peter is speaking to us. The author closes this letter with a warning saying, Be vigilant. And he encourages them to stand firm against their great enemy. Now Peter was very, very aware of who the great enemy was. Peter, who wrote this book, had very personal interactions with Satan on his own. And it was amazing that he was the one to write this encouragement because he was the one that failed most. His personal experience with the devil was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, which we call Maundy Thursday, right? And into the morning of Good Friday. In Luke 22:31, Jesus tells Peter that Satan has personally asked that he be given the opportunity to sift Peter and put him to the test. And Peter is tested and fails and fails and fails. Three times he denies Christ before the morning. Right? Three times he says, I don't even know the man. Denies that he was ever with Christ. He also uh, uh, separates himself from Christ in his hour, in Christ's hour of greatest need, right after he says, Jesus, I'm willing to stand by your side to the point of death. And that's when Jesus says, well, Satan has asked you to, he's going to test you in that tonight. Before the rooster crows in the morning, three times you're going to fail me. Right? So isn't it ironic that Peter is giving this warning? That Peter's the one who says, watch out for your enemy? Our enemy, he says, is the devil. And an army of evil is at his command. And he is against us persistently. Right? So it says this, 1 Peter 5.8, this is how Peter closes out the book of 1 Peter. He says, stay alert, be vigilant, is what the, it says, sober-minded and aware of what's going on, ready for an attack, be prepared, it can happen. You have an enemy, and do not underestimate what he is capable of. So watch out for your great enemy, the devil. So he's not your average enemy. He's not an irritating enemy. He is a great enemy. And he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He has been actively deceiving humanity for thousands of years. He's got a lot more experience than you or I, right? A lot more experience than all of us in this room put together. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He fights dirty. He does not send you a letter telling you that he's getting ready to attack you, right? He's a ruthless strategist, a master manipulator. He understands the the subconscious minds of human beings and manipulates even those to get at us. So he is ruthless. Peter's word, the enemy here, is uh, is a prosecutor on trial, right? 
It's an evil prosecutor. Someone who's willing to lie and slander to get judgment to come against us. He's against us entirely for legal reasons, it says. It also says he's a slanderer, which means he'll talk bad about you to anybody who will listen, and he doesn't care what the truth is. He wants to paint you in the worst light he possibly can in the minds of anyone that will listen to him. And this makes him a great adversary, right? It says he is roaring. And I, I paused at this and I was wondering, well, why does he roar? What is the deal with the lion roaring? How many of you know how far away you can hear a lion, lion roar from? Just count in miles. How many miles on your finger do you think it is? You're going to need all five fingers on one hand. Five miles away. I don't care how loud you turn up the sound system in this church. Nobody is going to hear me five miles away. Right? Five miles. When a lion roars the, he, and you hear it, even though you're in a separate room, he can stir the dust in the room. That's how loud a lion's roar can be. Has anybody gone to the, the, near the, a, uh, uh, a zoo early, early in the morning? Just as the sun comes up, that's when lions like to roar a lot. Okay? Now imagine walking into the zoo and you hear the lions roar. Has anybody ever had this? And your niche buckle a little bit. Okay? My, my, that happened to me once. We were going down by the Brookfield Zoo and one of the lions let it rip when I was a kid. And I was like, I am not going in that zoo. And they're like, it's safe, Justin. And I'm like, yeah, he's behind very thick bars. And I'm like, yeah, I still don't, I'm not comfortable. Right? Imagine if the lions weren't behind bars and you heard that out in the night or in the wee early hours of the morning. And imagine if you were a shepherd and you know what he wants for lunch, your, or for breakfast, your sheep. And so why would lions roar? Really, lions roar around domestic animals to get them to flee the shepherd. Lions view shepherds as a threat, an unknown variable that they do not want to deal with. And so they roar, and they get the sheep to, to try and leave the shepherd. And the ones that do, that's the ones he goes after. So now do you understand this analogy here? That he's trying to scare you out of the flock and away from the shepherd. Get you to flee any way that he can. And so he roars. And he'll use that terrifying roar to do it. Right? So here's my advice. Don't leave the flock. Stay close to the shepherd. Right? That's the advice there. And so he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That means someone means the first anyone he can get. Right? Could be you. Could be your spouse. Your children. You know, I hate people who hate me, but I really hate people who hate my children. Anybody else agree the same thing? Take that threat very seriously, right? Uh, we are called to, to fight against him and stay alert and watch out for him. He is hunting us. 
Jesus calls him a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Um, That slanderer term uh, is used that he slanders us in the eyes of the world to get the world to persecute us. Is that happening today? Can you tell he's working? How good is he? How strong is he? His native language is lies. It's the first thing that he, he knows how to speak it better than anybody else. Right? He's the best at lying. He is called the prince of this world. So does he have a lot of resources? Absolutely. Billions and billions of advertising dollars. Right? He'll sell what sells and he'll sell along with it. Anything he can to corrupt people. He is called the ruler of the kingdom of the air or the spiritual forces that cannot be seen. Right? Sometimes I think he's the king of the airwaves. You know, what's on the radio and what's on the TV. But there's some good news about fighting against him. His lies can be exposed. By spending time, his worst weapon, his lies, they can be exposed. By spending time in his word and knowing the truth. Right? We can see what Christ means, what Christ intends for us, and do that instead of what the world is telling us to do. As long as we're listening, as long as we're seeing who Christ wants us to be, as we're studying His Word, as we're memorizing it, as we're applying it and trying to figure out how to put it into our lives. He will also paint Christ followers in the worst possible light and get them the world to turn against Him. I mentioned that already. So He's thus the slandering murderer. He will slander you to the point where he can get someone to kill you. And that's what persecution looks like. And that was happening to the people that he writes to. And that is, is he still up to it today? Is he, does he have any morality in that? Will he murder children? He will slander to the point of no end, right? His goal is to use fear and manipulation in his control of the worldly powers and the rulers in high places to suppress the truth, oppress the church, render us spiritually ineffective in any way he can. His littlest method is to just divert us and to distract us. But his end goal is our death. To get us off this planet and to stop doing what God calls us to do. So awareness of his activity and taking our enemy serious that he's a low blow fighter and that he will hit you when you are not looking. He will slip in poison when you aren't paying attention. And he works on a level that's so deep it's hard to understand. Subconscious. And he's gotten us. So don't underestimate his ability. He is not harmless. He is not powerless. He can get Christians. And so we need to pay attention to the word. And obey the word actively, persistently, regularly, standing firm. And so, uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And so there is hope in this situation. We can fight and resist against him, but uh, we've got to be familiar with God's plans and knowing what His will is, listening to His Spirit and and, and following His Word. And so Paul says this, uh, Satan will not outsmart us. 
when he's talking to the people about forgiving one another. You've got to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, he can get you. That's one of his schemes is to grow unforgiveness in you. We've got to prepare for his onslaught of unrelenting lies. So 1 Peter then uh, 5, 9 starts like this. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You can do this, people. You have Christ dwelling within you. In a world filled with lies that... We know that we have been torpedoed, like in Pearl Harbor. We've been torpedoed. We've been bombed. We've been hit with the lies. We've been struck. We've been sunk. These things have happened to us, are happening to us today, and will happen to us in the future. His lies are unrelenting. Christ has not returned yet, so He's still doing His thing with as much bitter energy as possible. And there may be some of us in the audience who think we haven't been deceived or distracted or diverted by the devil. We think our behaviors are innocent, that the way we spend our time is acceptable. And we need to know that those people who believe that they haven't been gotten yet, you're at the greatest risk. You're caught unaware. So be aware He's, not only has He already got you, He's going to continue and will continue into the future. And we have to re- continually resist His lies. He has tricked every last one of us. And even right now, sitting in the church itself, you may be believing lies right now. They're already planted in you. On a subconscious level, He sneaks in and slips in those lies when no one is looking or no one is paying attention and no one is immune so uh, peter says we all must stand firm and i love that because previously in the passage he's talking to the elders but at this point he's talking to everybody in the church it's not just the elders job to stand firm everyone junior hires right senior hires young adults Parents, middle-aged, all the way from birth to death, all of us have to stand firm together in the truth. That's what the call is. Because we live in a world where those lies are being taught from, like I said before, infancy to the grave. Our culture, our news anchors, our talk shows, our political leaders. Anybody surprised that they lie? No. Our neighbors, our bosses, our co-workers believe lies and they share with them with us and they impose them on us and they live out those lives believing that they're the truth and they look at us and we don't live those lies and they're like, you need to. And they question why we don't. And they expect us to live the way they do because they believe lies. Right? And so the whole world is coming at you. The TV shows, right? Talk show hosts. The morality of Disney movies, even. They're lies. So many of them. And they're snuck in there with a bunch of truths so you don't notice. You know, poison, don't give... If you want to kill someone, don't use bitter poison. Use sweet poison. Right? Then it says this, Peter was writing to a... uh, a group of people who Satan 
was afflicting because he had gotten the culture to come against them. And so these people are going through intense persecution. And, and just so you know, when First Peter was written, it wasn't that bad. They weren't being executed yet. This letter is going to get, or this situation after this letter is written goes much worse. Much worse, right? And he says to them, Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Same thing. And that's still true today, right? People in our church are losing family members to ISIS. Did you guys know that? Our own church, it's home. It's here. It's not just on the other side of the world. It is affecting us today. They're being executed. Right? Elderly people. Um, So he's not just busy on the other side of the world. He's busy here too. He's busy in our nation. He's busy in in our area, in our neighborhoods. He's busy in this church. He's busy among these people. He's busy in your hearts. Even though Christ is the reigning force there, He is still whispering His lies to us, trying to make us ineffective. So He's very busy. And so I want to go through a list of lies that I just came up with. And and after service, a bunch of people came up to me afterwards and they're like, yeah, you forgot this lie and this lie and this lie. I'm like... Wait a minute, I'm not the father of lies. I'm nowhere as good as he is. I can't give you the whole list. He's been going for a long, 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 long time and lying on levels that I can't even comprehend. He is so good. But here's a starter list that the youth pastor could figure out. So this is, this is pretty, this is good as far as I know. But like I said, I'm thoroughly outmatched. But here are lies that you might believe. A little, ba- a little apathy isn't that bad. God's not watching that closely. You have a good excuse for not growing spiritually. God doesn't really care. He's not even paying that close of attention to you. God's keeping something pleasurable from you. You can give up for a little while and you can give in. It's not that bad. You don't have to forgive. Don't take this faith thing too far. Church has its time and its place. You've got to set limits on it. If you try to serve God, you're just going to screw it up. You have a right to sin a little because you're only human, right? You won't beat these addictions, so just quit fighting and stop asking for prayer. People are getting annoyed. You don't belong in this church and no one really wants you here. Keep your sin private. No one wants to hear about it. Don't let God or this church make you do anything you're not comfortable with doing. You run your own life. What a lie. Be afraid. Live in fear. Let fear drive you. Be ashamed. Because they did something to you, you can do something back to them. Has anybody believed any of those lies at one time or another in their life? And maybe even now, He got you. And that's a very short list, even though it took me a while to get through. He's the best liar, the father liar, the frequent liar, 
And we must stand strong in, his, in, in Christ and in the faith because without it, we are at His mercy. Without Christ's intervention, we have no hope. He's smarter than us, stronger than us, louder than us, and without God's help, we will be continually bombed and torpedoed and sunk to the bottom of the harbor. But, once we confess that we've been hit and that we've been attacked and that we have an enemy, something great begins. When Pearl Harbor was attacked, the day was not over on December 7th. The rescue crews began. The salvage crews started, even though the place was on fire and would burn for a very long time. They worked tirelessly to end the fires and start beginning to resurrect the crew. After the message last hour, Paul Overly, a friend of mine, came up to me and he said, my grandpa was at Pearl Harbor. He was one of those guys. And he reached into the hull of a ship and grabbed a hand of a living man and yanked out his own cousin he didn't even know was at Pearl Harbor. They sprung to action. And they fought flames and they got burned. The salvage crews then kicked in. Even though we had been bombed and blasted and bruised and battered and there were ships on the sea floor, we were not done. They began to work tirelessly to restore the fleet. Incredible measures were taken to put the fires out and refloat the boats. They patched holes, cleared debris, and pumped water out of the ship. Navy divers spent more than two or more than twenty thousand hours underwater inside damaged ships. And within six months, five battleships and two cruisers were patched and refloated and on their way to shipyards in Pearl Harbor and on the mainland for an extensive repair. Salvage was on. And it continued for years. And men and women women won awards restoring the broken hulks. And by the end of the war, only three mighty ships were left at the bottom of Pearl Harbor and 15 were back in the fight. Isn't that amazing? Let's clip through it. There's another slide here. Uh, that is one of the ships. That's the West Virginia in, uh, in 1944 on the other side of the world fighting. New paint job even. Right? Christ is our Salvage master. Doesn't matter if you've been believing the lies. Doesn't matter if you, he's gotten through, he's torpedoed you. You feel sunk. It doesn't matter. It's not over. Our salvage master is amazing. So there is hope in the battle. We have a great and vicious enemy, but we have a shepherd and a salvage master who is infinitely greater. Amen. He'll take what is sunk and He'll resurrect it. He'll revive us. 
He will refit us. He will equip us. He will make us lethal to the enemy's plan. He can do great things with sunken ships like us. And so First Peter continues here. In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. doesn't matter if you're sitting on the seafloor underwater. It doesn't matter. In His kindness, He's calling you back up. Get back up. Right? Be floated. Be restored. Right? So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support, and strengthen you and He will place you on a firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ Himself, right? Even after denying Christ three times, which is what Peter did, Christ comes back from death, the salvage Master, and He returns to Peter on the shore where He called him to be a fisher of men. And He says to Peter, who failed three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. How many times did Peter blow it? How many times did he restore Peter? He is the salvage master. Even though the guy blew it in Christ's greatest hour of need, Jesus restores that sunken ship and gets him to sail and fight again. And boy, he does, doesn't he? He gets to write Scripture. That sunk boat, can, that sunk boat is dangerous. So regardless of what failure or catastrophe, or shame, or embarrassment, or humiliation you may have endured, no matter what kind of difficulty you've had, no matter what kind of lies you believed, Christ says He is ready to restore you and equip you to fight again. And Christ is returning one day. And He will reward you for how you fought. So fight. Because He's coming to share His glory as the victor. It's time to put up a fight. It's time to fight the good fight. Resist the devil because Christ is in you. And because He's in you, you can. No matter how terrible His roar, or how tempting His offer, or how vicious His persecution, Christ has already defeated Satan and you can stand against him in Christ. In the end, we win. So stand and fight for a little while more. We don't have long on this earth. Soon we'll be on a firm foundation. Right next to Susie Parker. Now all him, all power to him forever. To close out the service today, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And if you have been torpedoed and you feel like you've been sunk and you feel like you're having trouble enduring the fight at the end, 
or you know someone in your family and you need to go before them and pray for them that God would send his angels and his ministers and and all the resources he can to help this person. If you know someone who needs help in their fight against Satan, this prayer team's up here, even wheeling up, ready to fight with you. And so uh, I pray that you would come forward and pray with them as, they, as you uh, go before the Lord and you stand. And so I would like you to close your eyes and imagine that Satan is roaring in your face trying to intimidate you and scare you and keep you down. And I would like you to stand against him. Will you stand? I mean it right now. Use your feet. Use your legs. Stand up with me. And let's close this service as we stand against him. Lord Jesus, we call out to you. Our enemy is great, but our shepherd, our salvage master is greater. And God, we pray that as we go through this day, as we go into this week, as we go into the rest of our lives, that we would recognize that there is a battle, there is an enemy who plans to sneak attack and slander and corrupt and destroy and distract and, and to dissolve any efforts that we can to serve You. God, help us to stand against Him. That even though His, His, His roar shakes the dust around us, we can stand firm in the faith and the knowledge of Jesus Christ against Him. Lord, we do declare that we win. Even if we've got a lot of ships at the bottom of the harbor, even if we feel like we're underwater ourselves, we know You're coming. You're here to pull us out. You're here to put us back in the fight. You're here to share Your glory with us. We thank You. We ask You to send us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.